early, 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 it sounds as though yes. engagement. Yeah. And yeah. and often, you know, everybody yeah. says engage early and often, but yeah. I think that's really how you have to build the trust is to really build a relationship with the community and the people that are working in the community. Mm-hmm. And then I think patients too, because communities are thinking seven generations in advance all the time. Right. This is Flux Capacitor, a podcast about the future of electricity. I'm Francis Bradley of the Canadian Electricity Association. We feature discussions about the future of the business of electricity on this podcast and what the future transformations will mean for electricity companies, regulators, society, and customers. Let's get right to the featured discussion on today's podcast. My guest today is Tabitha Bull, the Chief Operating Officer of the Canadian Council for Aboriginal Business. The mission of the Council is to foster sustainable business relations between First Nations, Inuit and Métis people and Canadian business. More information can be found at ccab.com. Now, here's my conversation with Tabitha. Tabitha, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So one of the questions that I ask uh, a lot of uh, a lot of people when they come onto the podcast is uh, I'm really curious about how people get to the role that they're getting to. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I've asked it of, of regulators. I've asked it of utility CEOs. Regulators, it's always interesting. Did you, when you were young, did you always want to be a regulator? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so, so the Canadian Council for Aboriginal Business. What what was your progression, and how did you wind up uh, with this organization? So I'm an engineer. I went to University of Waterloo for electrical engineering. I'm also a member of Nipissing First Nation. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I went into engineering with the purpose of working with community someday on Mm -hmm. electrical infrastructure. At the time, I thought maybe telecom infrastructure. Okay. uh, Really to bridge the gap between corporations that have utilities and have um, assets on First Nation land Mm -hmm. and have for many years. And how do we bridge that gap? Um, but also to bring some technical knowledge to community and how we could partner better. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went into consulting initially, but then I was at the independent electricity system operator for right. 15 years yep. of my career. Yep. And the last five years, I managed the First Nation Métis Relations Group. So in that time, we did some really great work on um, First Nation and Métis communities partnering on green projects as well as building capacity programs for communities to be able to to partner, but also to be able to develop their own energy plan. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the work on the remote connection plan, which is very near and dear to my heart. So Mm -hmm. um, after about five years, I felt that I had reached that career goal and I needed to look at what else I was going to do. Um, IESO had been a member of Canadian Council for Aboriginal Business, so I knew about the organization. I actually joined as a board member. Uh, for about a month, and then this position <laughs> came up, so I uh, resigned as board member and applied for the chief operating officer role. So, maybe tell folks a little bit about tell 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 the listener yeah. um, what uh, CCAB does. So we have been around um, thirty five years, mm-hmm. and we originally started by Murray Koffler, who was the founder of Shoppers Drug Mart, right. and a number of other forward thinking leaders, Paul Martin being one of them. Mm-hmm. 
And the mandate was to bring together Indigenous and non-Indigenous business. And how do we drive an economy for Indigenous peoples and mm-hmm. Indigenous businesses? So that is still our mandate. Um, we're now as much or more so. Um, so our membership is close to 1,000 members, 1,000 right. businesses. And yeah. about 60% are Indigenous businesses and 40% are non. Mm-hmm. Um, and our mandate is to build networks so that those businesses can work together through a procurement strategy, most recently has been a, a key priority for us through mm-hmm. um, an initiative that we call the Supply Change, right. which is an Aboriginal procurement marketplace. Yeah. Um, and then we also have a program called Progressive Aboriginal Relations, which is, is a program that helps um, corporations, both Indigenous and non, but mostly non-Indigenous businesses, mm-hmm. look at how they're working with Indigenous communities and businesses, assess what their potential is, and right. then start those put, those, um, put that potential into action. Uh, and that's a, a program that we have over 100 communities, or corporations, I should say, going through today. So it's mm-hmm. growing quite quickly as well. Great. I want to I circle back, yeah. of course, to talk about the Progressive Aboriginal yeah. Relations Program because it's, it's, a, it's a significant one. And it's the one that, that in, in, in full transparency, for, again, for the listener, uh, my organization, CEA, joined yes. um, uh, your organization. Uh, and one of the things that really caught our eye was a number of our members were getting, getting mm-hmm. involved. There are. Sp- specifically in the in the PAR program, but but uh, you know overall in the activities. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe reflecting back on well your your years in this space, not just at CCAB but at the ISO and elsewhere. Where do you see um, the the status of the challenge of of trying to build trust and mutual respect between um, Indigenous communities, and Aboriginal peoples, and, and non-Aboriginal people. What's the what's the status now, and, and how how far have we come, uh, or have we? Yeah. So I think there. I think we're definitely seeing positive change, and I would say I'm I'm very optimistic about where Corporate Canada is going in yeah. ensuring that Indigenous communities have an opportunity to be equity partners, mm-hmm. not just that they're being consulted, but there's there's a place for them at the table and a place for them to benefit economically. So whether that isn't as an equity partner or through a procurement program, through employment and training, um, but there's corporations who are really looking to partner, not because they have to, but because they think that it's, it's a responsible right. Canadian. Yeah. Um, even in our membership where we used to see most of our members um, being in the energy sector or in mm-hmm. businesses that had a direct impact on communities, mm-hmm. now we're seeing new members in IT sectors and sports really? sectors, yeah. So mm. CFL and the Ticats came on board last year. We've recently, um, eBay has recently joined as a member. Hmm. So it's not as much about, oh, I'm going to impact this community, I'm going to need to work with them. It's, right. It seems to be more about, I want to work with them and what can I do? And I think the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, okay. specific, specifically um, Call to Action 92, which speaks about businesses in Canada, mm-hmm has made a big difference in that as well. But I think just corporate social responsibility is making a change as well. Um, and I think some of the challenges is the speed at which business moves versus the speed at which a community decisions are made. Right. Um, we in corporations, and I, I would say this from my experience as well at ISO, is we need to, first we need to be engaging much earlier with communities. Mm-hmm. And, and that, you know, we had some success with that at ISO in specifically, I think your listeners will really understand this, is in the long-term energy plan. Right. We were out meeting yep. with communities very early in that plan, mm-hmm. and that's not 
you know, we're not at the point where we're at a project. We're really at a point of like, what are the needs of this community? Mm -hmm. And what are your thoughts on what might happen in the community? Um, so you're not going them saying, we have this project already defined. This is the root of the project. Let's talk about it. You're going to them with, you know, what are the options? And let's talk about the options. Right. And also building the capacity for them to be able to be active partners in those conversations. Mm -hmm. And you see that now in some transmission projects that are coming on board that we had been out talking to communities about years ago. Right. So now they're able to actively be talking about partnering on those projects, which is, uh, to me, a huge success. Mm -hmm. So trust and mutual respect, part of that is early, 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 it sounds as though, yes. engagement. Yeah. And, yeah, and often, you know, everybody yeah. says engage early and often, but yeah. I think that's really how you have to build the trust is to really build a relationship with the community and the people that are working in the community. Mm -hmm. And then I think patience too, because... You know, we think of a, like we could sit around a boardroom table and make decisions based on profit mm. or a bottom line, but communities are thinking seven generations in advance all the time. Right. And we're not having those discussions at boardroom tables. So we need to, <laughs> we need to at some <laughs> You're point. You're lucky if people are talking seven quarters. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Ahead, yeah. 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 So yeah. we need to think about that impact and, yeah. and the, the thought process and have a lot more patience at the speed of which we're trying to do business as right. well. Are, are there are there spe specific examples that that you would point to in terms of um, uh, successful or um, um, uh, well executed uh, projects that that um, uh, really showed uh, this um, early engagement, mm -hmm. uh, trust, um, mutual respect? Uh, so I think OPG's Peter Sutherland Generating Station, is okay. a hydroelectric station uh, near Takwatagmu First Nation, and. Mm -hmm. Takwa Takwa is, is an equity partner in that project, right. and OPG did um, significant work with them. And the work came from a settlement from uh, a period in time in which Ontario Hydro at the time had flooded the land of Takwa okay. First Nation. Right. And, and part of that settlement was to work together on a potential new project. Um, so they have an equity position in that project, mm -hmm. but they worked very closely with them on on employment, on understanding what the skills were in the community and surrounding communities. Um, and and they employed a number of people from the community and other communities. Um, but I was there for the um, for the groundbreaking or for when they turned the station on, mm -hmm. and you could really see that there was a real relationship between OPG and the community, mm -hmm. um, which has been built over years and years. You know, right. some people spoke about. Um, going up the river and really understanding what had happened in that community mm. before. And mm -hmm. and they did some great work as well on re remediation on um, some trees that were significant to to um, travel paths that the community elders would have taken a long, right. long time ago. Okay. Um, but they were very respectful of not just removing those trees, but but working with the community about what they were going to do to impact mm -hmm. that. Um, so I think that is that's an excellent um, example. I think Watena Kiniap as well, from a perspective of oh yes, yeah. the number of people that were supporting that project, but also on the on the patience part of that mm -hmm. as well, right? Because mm -hmm. that has been a project in planning stages for years, um, and it's really been the community's persistence that's made sure that that project has continued and is where it is today. Yeah, and that's been a partnership from IESO. Mm -hmm. Watana Kidnap, um, originally, um, I mean, now with Fortis, but prior to that with Gold Corp. Right. Um, and both governments, too, provincially and federally, had to come to the table to work mm -hmm. on that. So that, I think, now is an extremely successful project, but right. was over 10 years in the making since they've 
and building that business case. Yeah, that one's almost, uh, I, I'd, I'd almost call it the poster child right it now. It has. Uh, at almost every conference uh, yeah. dealing dealing with these issues, it's it's always a case study. Yes, and Margaret, who's kind of Quanash, is the CEO of that, has a lot is owed to her for mm-hmm. her persistence and continued work yeah. on that. Yeah. Reconciliation with Indigenous peoples um, is one of the other themes that, that, uh, that, that we've been talking a lot about at um, at CEA, uh, I wanted to kind of get your views about what you see as the core pillars um, of genuine re- reconciliation. So I think I would probably point to our Progressive Aboriginal Relations Program. Mm-hmm. It has four pillars. Okay. Um, so the first is not a pillar, but I think the very base of that mm-hmm. is education mm-hmm. and awareness. Um, and really taking the time to understand the history, specifically of the community that you're working with, right. because everybody's history is going to be different, um, and understand the cultural significance of that community and what's important to them, um, definitely is the baseline for all. Uh, but then from a corporate perspective, the pillars of PAR include employee development, so how are you working to employ Indigenous people? Right. But then also, what are you doing to allow or to support those people to move up through your organization mm-hmm. and to retain them in your organization as well? So, you know, are you, have you built a culturally sensitive workplace? Mm-hmm. Do you understand um, the need for those people to return to their community if they lose a community member or for hunting and fishing and yep. the importance of that? And yep. we have seen some communities who, who, or some corporations, I should say, who do make exceptions for those times of year when mm-hmm. when community people need to go home and help their family mm-hmm. hunt and fish. Yep. Um, business development, so that's around procurement and how are we supporting the Indigenous economy from a business perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, leadership actions, so those are things that, you know, as a corporation you're doing outside of, you know, something that's new. So maybe it's a scholarship program or mm-hmm. maybe it's something you're doing to... You know, for example, if you were a remote camp organization and you go in uh, where there's a mine, you set up your remote camp, you employ mm-hmm. Indigenous people, but then what are you doing to ensure that those Indigenous people can either move with you when you move to the next camp right. or that there's some place where they can continue to work once your camp leaves? Mm-hmm. So those type of leadership actions, and we do see some great organizations like Sodexo doing those type of things. Okay. Synovus as well. Um, I don't know if you saw in the news, but Synovus just... Uh, announced $50 million to build homes in the First Nation and Métis communities that they're working with. Okay. I mean, that's a significant act of leadership that is quite amazing, actually. Are they a member, a PAR member? They are. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then the the other one is community relations. So how are you really working with the community to understand their needs and desires, and particularly if you're you're in an environment where you're impacting them, Mm -hmm. um, how are your relations with those communities? Right. And through the PAR program, um, we do have verifiers that will go out and not just speak to the employees, but also go into the communities that you've noted as your communities of interest mm-hmm. and speak to them and understand to be sure that the actions that you're taking have been with the community alongside. So this is almost like an, an audit function? Yes. Yeah, so the PAR program, um, the initial part is a commitment phase where you yep. can look at the criteria, ask questions of your organization about how you're doing with Indigenous communities Mm -hmm. under those pillars, and then um, create a mandate statement and a mission statement that, and I think this part is significant, is that it is from your leadership team Mm. that agrees to that. So it's your executive team that's supporting that. And 
I think that is so important because if, if it's just your First Nation Métis relations team, it's very difficult for those people, however many they are, um, or maybe you don't have one, mm-hmm. um, to try to look across the entire organization and support community. So from procurement to HR to right. uh, community relations to communications, how you know it touches everything and it needs to touch everything within mm-hmm. your organization. So executive leadership is very important. Um, so once you, once you have your mission statement and you've decided what you can do, then you start to put those into action. And then that can take up to three years. Some mm-hmm. corporations are much further along, so it doesn't mm. take that long. Right. Um, and then there are Indigenous independent to CCAB verifiers that go into the business and speak to the executive team, speak to employees, as I said. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they make, make a recommendation for the certification level, which okay. would be bronze, silver, or gold. Okay. All and right. they bring that to an independent jury of Indigenous people mm-hmm. um, with their recommendation. And I've sat on those jury calls to listen in, and it's right. not an easy slam dunk. It's not okay. necessarily what the verifier brings so, forward. So not everybody gets gold. Not everybody gets gold. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, some of that is if you're kind of new and there's lots more that you could be doing. Right. Um, and presumably that's also fed back to the... To the company so that they can, okay. Yeah, so then the the reports go back to the company. And then in September, October of each year, we have a gala in Vancouver where Mm -hmm. we award those corporations that are certified with their certificates. And, you know, it is a significant amount of work Mm -hmm. um, for, particularly for those individuals that are really championing in it within the organization. And it's quite rewarding for them to be Right. On stage receiving so, their certification. So how how big a lift is it if, if we were, you know, to talk to, to a, a, approach a company and suggest that, that they join uh, the, the Progressive Aboriginal mm-hmm. Relations Program, <clears throat> how big a lift is it is it for uh, for a company kind of for me to say, if we are assuming the company actually has good practices right. to begin with, yeah. they're not starting from zero, um, presumably that the lift is, is not as high uh, if if they've, they've got in place the yeah. sort of things that you'd expect it to see. Yeah, I think um, we have recently revised the programs that it is easier it's not as um there there isn't as so that it's laid out a lot better for the process and the questions and the tracking is all there so it's more of a real step process that we can help step them through Mm -hmm. um so that has made it definitely easier from what i've heard from corporations going through it right so ccab is actually going through it ourselves right now um, oh yeah, when I jo- oh your joined. your uh, your organization has to go through the certification. Uh, we don't have to, but, but we hadn't. Uh, wow. And when I joined as COO, I I said, you know, we should be doing this ourselves. Like, that's, where that's what, very cool. Yeah. So, what certification level are we? And also <laughs> for us to understand, yeah. even within CCAB, what can we doing? I mean, we most of our procurement is from our members. Sure. Um, but. But we need to be walking the talk, right? So, huh. yeah, so we're going through it as well. Um, How's it going so far? It's going well. So we had our mission mandate statement approved at the board in December. Yeah. Um, and now we're starting to roll out the tracking and how are we tracking our spend. And, I mean, our employee numbers are are more than 50% Indigenous people. Right. And, um, so we do have that support. Um, but we also just recently... Uh, launched a par for small business. So for companies that okay. are less than 50 people, okay. um, it's a less criteria, yep. less questions to make it more seamless for a smaller organization. Okay. And part of that push is, was because Bruce Power, um, 
who is also PAR certified, made a requirement for their suppliers to go through the PAR process. Oh, okay. Which right. is a huge leadership action on, yeah. on their part as well. Yeah. Um, but a lot of their suppliers are smaller businesses, so we needed to look at how we could ensure that they were able to accomplish that. Right. So we talked about PAR. One of the other things, all these acronyms, um, <laughs> a couple of more acronyms, and these ones might be a little more um, uh, complex, uh, UNDRIP and FPIC. Mm-hmm. And uh, and what, you know, kind of what role, first off, do they play a role in terms of uh, the CCAB? And then generally, uh, I guess we're, we're probably at an inflection point right now when we're uh, collectively in, in Canada trying to get an understanding of what, what um, uh, UNDRIP is going to mean uh, for, for us as a country. But to begin with, do, do, do either UNDRIP or FPIC have um, an impact in terms of uh, describing and determining what kind of programming uh, the CCAB puts together? Um, I wouldn't say directly no. And, um, you know, also we are always pushing for Indigenous communities to be engaged in any project. And, you know, I don't think we're going to be building any infrastructure across Canada if Indigenous communities aren't part of the project. Um, So from that perspective, I mean, those are a lot of the principles around UNDRIP is Mm -hmm. ensuring that we're, you know, working with community and that they are on board with the project. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the, again, the earlier that communities are on board, if, if communities have a part, there's such a benefit to the project as well from right. traditional knowledge and from ensuring that, you know, the, the earth is left as it was or as close to mm-hmm. as it was before the project. I mean, that information and knowledge and earth care from Indigenous people is only going to help the project. So I think we need to also look from that perspective. Mm -hmm. So as CCAB, you know, we are always encouraging that that be the way. Um, But, and I, you know, in terms of PAR, um, I had this question actually the other day, if if PAR was built on the principles of UNDRIP and I and it wasn't. It's, we've had it, PAR it around. Was, PAR has been a lot, That's around, right. a lot longer than the United Nations <laughs> right. Declaration. Yeah. yeah. But but it's very aligned. And right. The, 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 uh, that's yeah. right. The principles, you know, they're all very aligned and UNDRIP. So okay. I, I, I do think that, you know, we really, as a country, need to have some certainty. And, mm-hmm. and for investment um, to move forward, we need to have some certainty from government and, and how it's going to be right. implemented into, into legislation. Um, but as CCAB, we are really trying to build the relationships and build the opportunity for procurement and, and equity and to ensure that there are enough businesses to support mm-hmm. procurement plans mm-hmm. um, from organizations. And, and in doing so, we will get to a point where people are following the real principles of mm-hmm. engagement. Mm-hmm. So as, 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 as I said uh, like a minute ago, uh, I, I think we're kind of at an inflection point in terms of trying to figure out what, what UNDRIP, um, you know, United Nations Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous People is going to mean for, for Canada. Do, do you feel more optimistic or pessimistic in terms of the future of um, um, Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal uh, relations as we move forward? Uh, so I, I feel optimistic. Yeah. I really do. I think, um, you know, it's it's so since coming into this role, it's mm-hmm. quite incredible to see how our membership has grown. So our right. membership has um, grown 30% year over year, the two years that I've been there. Mm-hmm. And our ability to retain members is, is has been growing as well. Right. Um, and, you know, you see so many 
incredible indigenous businesses um, in IT and in export potential businesses as well. Mm-hmm. That that makes me very optimistic. Um, and like I said, I you know the number of different sectors that are interested in wanting to wanting to work with indigenous business and procure from indigenous businesses is, is also um, very uh, positive. Um, I think there's definitely some ins- uncertainty yeah. in around UNDRIP and around um, some large infrastructure projects, but mm-hmm. um, but I think on the majority, Canadians are supportive of Indigenous people and right. supportive of reconciliation, and I think it's going to take a lot of education, as I said, and specific to understand the uniqueness of specific communities mm-hmm. before we can move forward and and to understand how best to apply FPIC right. as well. A couple of the projects that uh, that uh, uh, you'd mentioned, I'd mentioned, uh, are projects where the uh, local communities have um, equity positions. Is that's th- is that the future? Is that is that how we're really going to be able to um, um, uh, move forward together? Is if we do so as as in, in real partnership? In my opinion, yes. Yeah. I think you know we need to get to that point where it is an equity position, not a you know in some of the path, not a tokenism right. Um, right. part. But I mean, it, it allows for communities to then have control, more control about what's happening within mm-hmm. their on their land mm-hmm. um, and reclamation when the project's over as well, which is so important and often forgotten. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also allows the communities to benefit, and then that economic benefit that comes to them can be reinvested somewhere else, which just continues to grow the economy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we talk often about uh, Suncor and and Imperial Oil in the oil sands area, but Fort Mackay First Nation um, near Fort McMurray, their average salary is, is greater than $73,000 a year mm. in that community. Right. Um, and that community has has partnerships with Suncor on the East Tank Farm, so a, a large partnership, equity partnership. Right. But now they've been able to reinvest that profit into new partnerships. So they are one of the communities that just purchased a 44 kV transmission line. Oh yes. With five other yep. communities. Yep. Um, so that just sees the growth, right? Like one equity partnership, the profit that comes from that allows them to invest mm-hmm. in other partnerships mm-hmm. and projects and. And also, you know, some communities have said the business growth, the the business knowledge growth that they've had by right. partnering on projects right. has brought them so much knowledge within their community and, mm-hmm. and for their people. Grows the capacity, grows their ability. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And then they're able to look at new opportunities and partner in new opportunities. Right. And to bring their people home as well. So mm-hmm. Chief Terrence Paul from Member 2 um, just won our Lifetime Achievement Award, and he spoke about the more his economy grows within his community, the more jobs there are for him to bring his people home. Oh, that see. they can okay. come back yeah. home. And he yeah. actively went out and looked for his members. Yeah. Said there are opportunities at home. Come right. home. And then the community starts to grow as well. Hmm. Yeah. One question that I ask everybody that I ask on uh, to join the podcast is about a book that either they're reading or recently read that they would recommend to people to, to, uh, to give a read to. So, what book would you would you suggest so um, crack the spine on? I I would suggest From the Ashes by Jesse Thistle. Okay. Uh, so he's a Métis man who um, it's his biography autobiography. Okay. About his life, uh-huh. and it's not a easy read by any means. Right. Um, but it is it's very raw and very honest, and yeah. it really shows a, a a picture of how um, 
you know, people being moved from their homes and residential schools and the impact that that's had on, okay. on one individual man. And, right. um, and it's close to home because in some parts he's, you know, grew up in Brampton and in oh, Ottawa. Oh, wow. Okay. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I read it over the holidays and then traveled to Ottawa for a hockey tournament and, you know, walked by the same places that he spoke about. So it really touches home. And it's now, it's on for Canada Reads. And okay. It's yep. a well, becoming a very well-known book, which yeah. is incredible. And the title once again is? From the Ashes. Terrific. Yes. Tabitha, thank you for joining thank the you podcast. Very, much. Thank very you. interesting conversation. Yeah, it was great. Thank you. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Flux Capacitor, invite you to tune in for future discussions, and invite you to continue the electricity conversation on our Facebook page, on Twitter, and at electricity.ca. Mm-hmm.